This week on episode 488 of Priority One, we trek out Noah Hawley's thoughts on the future, Tarantino's beef with Peg, Dan Curry's artistry, and Mega Publishers! In Star Trek Gaming, there's Klingon Adventures, Star Trek Online's Winter Wonderland, and Grud. Later, Dr. Robert Hurt joins us for an Astrometrics report and for On Screen to review Discovery Season 3's episode, Unification Part 3. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector in the brand new official Star Trek Online Starship Collection at herocollector.com forward slash ST online. Save 10% with code PRIORITY10 at checkout. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 488 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, December 4th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in our technical booth is our chief live technician, Brandon. Hey, how's it going, guys? I'll work out that title more officially, perhaps for next week. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave you that promotion just now, Brandon. We were live when just we heard now. you all heard it. It was just here. Now. It That's happened right. just then. That's right. Congratulations. It happened just now. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. That's Appreciate great. it. <laughs> well, you did a phenomenal job two weeks ago when it was the, your first time doing it. Uh, thank you again for joining us for these shenanigans and for helping us make our live stream so much better. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or you can email us. Reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, anything that is produced by a community of volunteers and supported by a community of like-minded fans you see, that, that's an endeavor worth every moment. There's something to be said about the magic it takes to produce a show like ours. Scripted, tightly edited, released weekly. Now, I take a sense of pride that all of these accomplishments are done by a group of talented, passionate Trekkies who dedicate their time and talents to this production, all the while supported by listeners like you via Patreon. It really takes a small army of volunteers to produce a show like ours from week to week, and we could use your help. If you'd like to join the team, we're looking for audio editors who can spare two or three hours a week to help edit one of our segments. Or if you're into video editing, someone who might be willing to clean up our live stream so that we can publish it as a video companion to the podcast. That would be fantastic. But most importantly, Captains, it's time to inject some new life into the show by adding a new voice to the mix. As 2020 comes to a close, we talked the talk for some important causes that 
this year, and now it's time to walk the walk and make changes to the show that reflect our commitment to inclusivity. We're looking for a new host to join us every week to talk about the latest and greatest from the Star Trek multiverse. So if you've got a lot to say and you think you've got what it takes to verbally spar with the three of us, now's your chance to throw your hat into the ring. Captains, I don't want to be the only person on this team that qualifies as a minority, so we strongly encourage BIPOC members of the Star Trek Online and greater Star Trek community to participate in this audition process. Our goal has always been to represent the community. We can do better, and we will do better with your help. So, if you have a passion for Star Trek, play some Star Trek Online or other Trek games, and have always wanted to elevate your voice in the greater Star Trek community, then visit PriorityOnePodcast.com, review the job descriptions available, and click Join the Team at the top of the webpage. If you have any questions, feel free to write us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's Trek it out. If you were looking forward to Fargo creator Noah Hawley's vision for Star Trek, then I'm sorry we've got some bad news for you. According to the creator, quote, it doesn't appear to be in the immediate future. The 53-year-old Hawley sat down with Deadline this week to talk about the aforementioned Fargo Series 4 finale, a possible Aliens series, and Star Trek. On the latter, Hawley told Deadline, quote, it doesn't appear to be in my immediate future. I think when Emma came in, she took a look at the franchise and wanted to go in a different direction with it. But you know, life is long and we were very close to production but in this business that doesn't mean much you got to get out of the gate to be in the race you know what i mean end quote nothing definitive but that doesn't sound great check out our show notes for a link to the article moving on to another likely dead star trek film is there a feud between director quentin tarantino and star trek's simon Pegg? back in july of 2019 tarantino told deadline quote i get annoyed at simon Pegg. he doesn't know anything about what's going on and keeps making all these comments as if though he knows about stuff One of the comments he said, he's like, well, look, it's not going to be Pulp Fiction in space. Yes, it is. If I do it, that's exactly what it'll be. It'll be Pulp Fiction in space. That Pulp Fiction-y aspect, when I read the script, I felt I have never read a science fiction movie that has this in it ever, end quote. But was Tarantino mad, bruh? According to Simon Pegg, no. In an interview with Radio Times, Pegg said, quote, I was just saying the opposite of what people were assuming it was going to be. Then I heard this story that Quentin was mad at me. I haven't read his treatment of Star Trek, but I've heard it's very Quentin Tarantino does Star Trek, you know? And it's everything you would hope from. Actually, I saw him at a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. I was like, you're not mad at me, are you? He's like, nah, man, no. The press are blowing it out of proportion. We had a good laugh about it, end quote. So good are they all good everybody's everybody's friendly i just would like someone to come out and say from viacom cbs star trek is at home on tv it is the horse that is pulling the cbs all access cart we are not going to dilute that brand or take a chance on giving up any kind of control outside of our little kingdom until we have beat this thing to death and squeezed all the money out of it we can i want them to come out and say that so we can stop having all these these articles come out i'm sure that's gonna happen tomorrow (laughs) many things like that do happen sometimes. I say, I want to see this and the world provides that to me. That does happen from time to time. Did they announce when the Viacom Plus thing was supposed to happen? I think early next year, isn't it? or mid next year. Yeah, it definitely definitely next year. It's mid. I think it's mid 2021. Yeah, I bet it wouldn't happen anytime before that if anything got announced. 
the you know truth of the matter is is that you know they they keep doing this to peak interest right to keep people talking and that's what we're doing we're talking about the Tarantino film we're talking about Simon Pegg we're talking about Noah Hawley as if though that's going to do anything i mean but when push comes to shove poop or get off the pot i i understand that much of production has come to a halt but that doesn't mean that writers can't get together that the, that the pen to paper development of a new movie or a new concept can't be happening right now. I think we've all been able to deal with not being in the same room with one another in 2020, right? We've all managed to get around that. So at this point, I, you know, I almost want to make a, a declaration that Priority One will no longer cover these ridiculous claims that Quentin Tarantino is going to be making a movie or not or where Noah Hawley is until finally there's something to announce. No? Nobody's behind me there? No? All right. I'm all like, right, we'll keep, okay. We're fine. We'll keep, we'll, 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 keep, we'll keep delivering it. <laughs> Releasing on the day of this recording, December 1st, a new book outlining the visual beauty of Star Trek titled Star Trek, The Artistry of Dan Curry will hit bookshelves. The creator of the art, Dan Curry, sat down with Space.com to talk about his time with Star Trek. Curry reflected on his time with the Peace Corps and how his travels through Asia affected his designs. Quote, when you see exteriors of Klingon cities or Klingon outposts, most of them were matte paintings by the great Sid Dutton. I'd work with him on evolving a style that was a composite of Thai, Lao, and Nepali architecture. I did some of the matte paintings myself, like the Klingon Lamasari, which is a Tibetan-looking building on a mountaintop inspired by a train trip I took through the Canadian Rockies. End quote. In regards to his on-set memorabilia, Curry says, quote, It was frowned upon. Anything I wanted, I'd ask the producers for. I do have Batleth number one and Mechleth number one, and I have a little hand prop from Deep Space Nine, a Cardassian device like an alien iPad that has my face on it as a deceased mad scientist. I have some of the shards left over when we'd blow up a model. Sometimes I'd make space debris out of plastic parts melted over a candle. If we came upon a destroyed spaceship, the random plastic parts would be the debris that would fly by. I did keep a lot of my storyboards and concept sketches, end quote. To read the article or for a link to purchase Star Trek The Artistry of Dan Curry, written by Curry, and Hero Collector's own Ben Robinson, you can follow the link in our show notes. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize that Klingon architecture took so much from Asian influence and Thai influence. Yeah, some of these books can be really revealing, especially um, if you kind of want to fancy yourself a bit of a Star Trek scholar, right? If you want to kind of get in the behind the scenes knowledge of how these things were created. This is a nice, at the very least, a nice coffee top book. You know, coffee bo- coffee table book that you can leave, you know, lying about. Well, speaking of books, if you're a fan of Star Trek novels, listen up. Viacom CBS has struck a deal with publisher Penguin Random House to sell its publishing arm, Simon & Schuster. The deal was struck on Wednesday, November 25th, for a whopping $2 billion, and according to the New York Times, creates the first mega publisher. The deal will certainly shake up the publishing world, giving Penguin Random House access to authors like Stephen King and Doris Kearns Goodwin, as well as the Star Trek catalog. What does that mean for Star Trek? novels? Penguin Random House CEO Jonathan Karp said in an interview, quote, This is a company that respects the creative autonomy of publishers. We'll still all be competing against each other. Publishing is a business driven by individual passions for books and for writers, end quote. Best case scenario, the books keep coming, but we get more push from the mega publisher. Worst case, the books stop altogether. For now, it's a waiting game. Stay tuned, and we'll bring you more as we hear it. When I first saw this headline hit social media, I feel like there were people that were kind of upset about this. Like, this could be bad for Star Trek literature. Any idea why that might
might be or uh just that it's a bigger publishing company it's harder for smaller stories like that maybe to get signed i don't know how much new artist development they do but usually it's just corporatized I remember back when Penguin was a company. Oh, yeah. And too. Random House was a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, those used to be two different companies. And now they were became one. And now they're eating up Simon & Schuster. To me, this this is, again, like Kat was saying, it's, it's corporatizing here, right? It's just gluing more more companies together to get volumes of uh, economies of scale for, for that. Not long ago, this sort of thing would have been stopped by the Department of Justice and antitrust. Because if they're getting to a third of the publishing market, in the publishing market, they buy writers, right? They buy stories, and then they turn around and sell the books. So they're kind of, they're in a monopsony and a monopoly, potentially, situation. If there's only a few sellers of books, if there's not very many sellers of books, then that's a problem. But more to the concern, maybe, is, is that they might be one of the few buyers of books, which is a monopsony, not a monopoly. And that's a different kind of a problem. So it's, I don't think Star Trek needs to worry, but it's the writers that publish their own books that then qualify to become Star Trek writers, right? Because you don't just get handed a Star Trek title. No, you have your own, you have to publish a few books on your own, and then someone comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, you want to give a crack at a Janeway story. And so that may be more the problem is that as that ecosystem gets more centralized, mm-hmm. there's fewer chances for unknown writers to cut their teeth on their own stories to get noticed by another company to write this. And it's more likely that you'll have to be in their farm system. If you want to crack at a Star Trek novel, you're going to have to be already published by that company to get a crack at it. I don't know, man. I just want them to do more audiobooks for people like me that like to listen to audiobooks. Ooh, I love audiobooks, too. I wouldn't worry about that. They're expensive to make, and a big company like this can afford to hire you know actors to... I hope so, because I'd love to read the entire Destiny novel. I'd love to read the whole Picard Section 31 thing. The Destiny novels? Don't bother. They're terrible. I want to read the Titan novels. Like I want to do all those things, and I'd love to be able to listen to them on my ride to work or whatever, you know? But I can't. They're only available in German. <laughs> I walk from downstairs to upstairs. From the laundry room to the kitchen. Uh-huh. <laughs> and back again 14,000 times. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now, let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. Captains, before we move on to gaming news this week, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Eagle Moth, and their hero collector of starships from Star Trek Online. Captains, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about these amazing models, these die-cast models with phenomenal detail. And this week, during our live broadcast recording of episode 488 of Priority One Podcast, we opened up Star Trek Online's Andromeda-class starship. It's the galaxy on steroids. And I'll tell you what, the detail on this ship is stunning. Right, guys? Oh, it's amazing. Hold on. Steroids. No, no, not steroids. This is the galaxy class further refined. Oh, it's the galaxy class that's been to finishing I, school. I, it is fancy. It is it is highly detailed, and it's it, the, the technology and, 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 the, and the trimmings have been brought forth uh, to the 25th century with, uh, with, with exquisite, exquisite, fine and particular detail. The colors throughout 
this model are just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, if you're a Star Trek Online fan, you should really consider bringing these models into your collection. And it's the holidays. And these models are brought forth from the Star Trek Online 3D models. That's what they use to, to set up the die cast and the, uh, the ABS plastic models. So what you see in the game is what you're going to see in your hand when you get, pull this out of the box. And no matter which faction you may prefer to play, you can get one of those starships because I have the Romulan one, which I really enjoy. But you can get the Bortescu and the Baran and uh, the Jem'Hadar uh, Vanguard carrier. That's right. So, And they just announced that they're working on the Arbiter, which I'm really excited about. Ooh. I can't wait to have that tank. That's a I nice can't wait. ship. Now, Robert, you are no stranger to collecting from Eagle Moss. And as I was displaying the Andromeda, you were showing some of your own. Have you ever been disappointed with an Eagle Moss ship? I think the only disappointing thing about Eagle Moss for me is the fact that I take so long to eventually say I've had enough ships because I have tables covered with them because they look so cool. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have I have some pretty complete collections of the original Starship collection and of the Discovery collections. And uh, at some point, I, I just have to pull back and just say, let me just pick the ones I desperately want. But yeah, I've I've had uh, I've had multiple subscriptions from them and <laughs> really really enjoyed that. I just now need them to buy me a large place with more uh, display space. <laughs> well, captains, don't forget that as we approach the holiday season and you might be thinking about what to stuff those stockings with for your Trekkie loved one in your family or friends, be sure to take advantage of 10% off of your next order with coupon code PRIORITY10. That's the word priority, the number one and zero at checkout. You'll save 10% on your next order with free shipping. We thank Eagle Moss for their ongoing support of Priority One. The virtual role-playing tabletop endures now more than ever, but there'll always be something satisfying about physical space. And if Klingon warriors understand anything, it's getting physical. No, not like, well, actually, yes, like that. Anyway, Modifius understands as well and has the tools of violence to accommodate. Pre-orders are open for the Star Trek Adventures Klingon Empire dice set and Game Master Toolkit with expected release next February. The dice set includes four Four Star Trek Adventures branded D6s and two D20s for $19.96 US dollars. For $46.59 US dollars, the toolkit combines PDF and printed GM screens, player reference sheets, and a 20-page one-shot story. The toolkit also offers double-sided maps of Klingon space and alpha beta quadrants, but in the original Klingonese. Good thing you have till February to learn the language. You know, if there's one thing that Modifius knows how to do is make beautiful art for these books and develop a wonderful story. I mean, Tony, you've sung their praises before, you know, about how much lore they can inject into one of their books. Yeah, yeah. Lennon just recently got the Klingon rulebook that he likes much better, not only for the art and lore we've talked about, but also the rules are much better organized in the Klingon book hmm. than the new release of this. So uh, if you're interested in, you know, doing the Klingon adventure type story, one of these packs might be good for you. The branded dice that they're talking about, kind of important for the game because it's just easier. The six-sided dice have special symbols on it in the Star Trek game that don't translate to a regular set of dice you'd find and Yahtzee. So if you want to be official and have an easier time reading what your what your damage scores are, you might want to invest 20 bucks in a set of dice for it and support the publisher. It's a fun game. It's a fun rule set. It's, it takes a little time to learn. Uh, hopefully if you start with a Klingon set, it's a little easier though. Yeah, I've dabbled and I've played several tabletop adventures 
adventure games of Star Trek uh, over the last several months since August, I want to say. And it is it's definitely fun. It's it's a, it's exciting if you like improvisation, if you like to be on your toes and you've got a solid game master, you know, it's it's something that's always going to be engaging. And on top of that, even if you just get the books and you're a Star Trek fan, look, it's going to be an awesome addition to your collection. You know, throw it on your coffee table and it's going to be a conversation piece. Hey, what's this? Oh, it's a game. <laughs> Want to play? <laughs> right. That's how you get people in. But more more than anything, it is just such an in-depth look into Star Trek in a way that is seldom done. Everyone knows the best temperature for serving revenge. But what about holiday cheer? Is it the steaming heat of a mug of mulled blood wine? The thrilling chill of a full impulse snowball to the face? The searing torment of Grethor's flames? Who knows? The omnipotent you knows? And he's oh so ready to share with you. Hang the gummy fish and prime your snowblowers. Q's Winter Wonderland approaches. The 2020 winter event runs from December 8th to January 7th on all the platforms. This year, all your favorite activities contribute to daily progress towards the new Tier 6 Gokhtad carrier. We have only a beauty shot of the flaming Fekiri boat to go on for now. Until ship stats are released, let's journey through the catalog of this year's wonderful new toys. The purple Nanopulse Discovery Era Batleth finally bridges the so-called red versus blue divide in Star Trek Online. Sort of. Be the pride of the quadrant with rainbow winter coats and faction-appropriate winter sweaters. Judge friends and family this year with the one chair that outranks the captain, the consumable Q's chair. Sing holiday carols of ice and fire with Grethor-themed training manuals and kit modules. And help us always on the way with the Rescue St. Bernard ground pet, which, oh, who cares about holiday theming? It's a puppy! It's a puppy with a little hot chocolate! Yeah, but I grew when I grew up and those dogs showed up on cartoons, it was hot chocolate. No, hot chocolate spiked with whiskey. Did, did you grow up in Utah? Because that, that might be what happens in Utah. I lived there for several years. I think I can say that uh, with, with some authority. Everywhere else is whiskey, though. So we got another Fakiri ship this year. Something confused me, though. There was a headline that said that these ships would now be faction unlocked. Well, the event ships always are, yes. Ah, uh, no. According to... So, this it's something else. I misunderstood it. In addition to this brand new ship, quote from Star Trek Online's Twitter account, we'll be making the Tier 5 Carfi, the Skull oh. Fighters, and the Ferjai Fighters available to all factions. Okay, so those were Klingon-specific if you had those T5 ships, which you could only get if you were Kadiak. Right. Um, but, man, the new uh, sweaters are super cool. I can't wait to get those. And, of course, the puppy. Who doesn't want a puppy? It's just, I mean, it's just low-hanging fruit. It's, just, it's, it's too easy. It's a St. Bernard! I mean, it's a St. Bernard. Come on, it's adorable. With a little barrel. A little barrel. I know, barrel with the whiskey. Hot chocolate. Nope. <laughs> I'm just gonna pretend you've, you've ruined my innocence this whole time. I thought it was hot chocolate. Really? In those Bugs Bunny cartoons, that yeah, Saint in those Bernard, Bugs Bunny cartoons, yes, it was, did not have hot was, chocolate. It was. Not I remember him having hot chocolate. No, it was Maybe not. Tiny Toons. It was hot chocolate. No, it was a hot toddy. Yes. Is what that was. <laughs> well, closing out this week's news with some light frivolity because, dang it, we've earned some. On November 30th, the Star Trek Online Twitter account shared a picture of Grudge, Discovery Season 3's breakout star in the NCC 1031A's Captain's Chair. Cryptic mused that they're, quote, wondering what her voiceover rate is, end quote. 
but it's undoubtedly worth it. Grudge's vocal performances are second only to Morn's and would only enrich the game further. No word on how Captain Killy might react should they cross paths in the game, but consider this, Captains. Grudge is already a queen. Might she, dare we suggest, be an emperor as well? <laughs> I think I like that even better than my whole revenge thing earlier. I mean, I think that was, that yeah, was really that was good. good. That was Scooby-Doo-esque. <laughs> what I want is for, for Grudge to be like that cat in Captain Marvel. That's what I want. Oh. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's obviously more happening with Grudge, but can we have Grudge in the game, please? Because we need more pets. If they're going to do cats, they need to fix the They fur, have cats. Right? I know, I know, I know. But the cats that are there already kind of look like these little porcelain things that, yeah. you know, uh, they all look short-haired. So art department, update the fur. Update fur. You, that's your that's your number one thing for 2021. Update fur for pets. Cross everything else off the whiteboard and put and move fur everything to the off. top. Yeah. Though I did learn something new in Stowe that I didn't realize this week. Oh. They're Siamese cats. I did oh. not know this. I thought that the blue Russians were the only purple quality ones, but no, they're Siamese. And there's zero on the exchange. What the heck? I need more Siamese cats. And you have to use Lobie to get them. Good thing there was a Lobie sale, because that's what I spend my Lobie on, if you were cats. Not, not ship packages, not, not nope. consumables, not uniforms. Nope, none of that are got cats. For the record, the song We Are Siamese did in fact pop into my head from 101 oh, Dalmatians. Obviously. But I believe that that movie now comes with a disclaimer because that is a racist song. <gasps> it is racist. Oh, my God. I it's just thought racist. of it. Yes, it is. It is super racist. <laughs> Pretty that soon, people are going to go back and just, like, turn off all the Disney movies. Like, all of them. That song is hella inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when did that movie come out? Though? 60s. Um, 60s. Yeah, that was hella racist. Well, that's all we have this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now, let's welcome Dr. Robert Hurt for this week's Astrometrics Report. Space. Astronomy, quantum mechanics. It's not theoretical, it's not hypothetical, it's real. Education, astrometrics. The final frontier. Captains, joining us on this episode of Priority One is our very own science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, to fill us in on the latest. So let's look up to the skies. Dr. Hurt. Hello, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here. While I actually come bearing a, a really cool uh, astronomy mystery story that I, I've been wanting to talk about for a while, I would be remiss if I did not actually start with really downer sad news today. Because um, if you had been uh, catching the uh, uh, news feeds today, you might have seen that an iconic telescope has basically collapsed today. The Arecibo Observatory. The Big Dish. Big Dish, a, a supervillain lay in uh, uh, James Bond. It has been having structural failures over the last month or so. And today the primary supports broke and the, uh, the science carriage that was like on held on cables, the 900 tons of stuff just came crashing down. So a telescope, which actually was born the year I was born in 1963, <laughs> has not lasted as long as me yet. So I'm, I'm trying not to take this personally. I don't want to connect my fate to it or anything, but yeah, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd seen over the past few months that like bits and pieces of it started to fall down, but the whole thing just cratered. Is it? Yeah, yeah. there were basically uh, I, three big cabled support towers. The whole like receiver se 
section was was basically held by cables overhead and those started snapping earlier and there was already some damage to the dish when those started snapping and then uh, today it was a catastrophic failure. NSF had already actually declared that it was going to be dismantled because they didn't think it was reparable but now it just you know kind of all all fallen down. The whole thing came down. Uh, And what an iconic thing. I mean we've seen it in so many films. You've seen it you know in so many pictures. I know I love that movie. Golden Eye. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, Contact is is really like the film that like takes you there and, and really gives you a feeling of what it was like to do research there. It was a, a really incredible piece of technology because you know it, when we couldn't build a dish, a radio dish that was large enough to really collect that much you know radio energy and and and, and be that sensitive. The idea of like, well, you know, we found this this uh, this concave depression in this area in Puerto Rico. We will use that to build our dish and then we will suspend our receiver on top of that. And so we can't actually steer it, right? It could only point up, but it was built in such a way that you could sort of move the receiver and you'd got a certain, a limited field of view that you could aim around in. And so Arecibo could, you know, you had to wait for interesting things to kind of float overhead and then you could track them for a little bit. But because of its size, it, it just had unprecedented sensitivity and it really opened up the era of radio astronomy. A sad loss. I mean, I, I haven't seen too much chatter about it, but I can't not believe that this wasn't ultimately driven by the hurricane. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of damage. Oh, absolutely. The horrible, you know, everything that suffered so badly across the island. The fact that uh, the news stories I read today said that these cables were actually rated to support much more weight than they broke under was just suggesting that, you know, for some reason they'd failed. And I think it's just hard to imagine that all of the strain that it underwent during the hurricane winds didn't just suddenly just drastically reduce the structural integrity of everything so yeah for sure yeah well here's to Arecibo here's to Arecibo think of it in your thought go go watch your favorite astronomy movie featuring it uh, it was even featured in X-Files though I don't think they actually went there it was sort of uh, uh, they uh, it was a reference <laughs> oh, they referenced it I remember it yes yeah there's an alien I, outside in the rain and the storm mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yes I remember that episode wow but but on a, a slightly more upbeat note I just wanted to bring a, a, a kind of cool uh, astronomy news snippet that I actually have gotten to follow very closely for the last 16 years. And this is one of those classic mystery stories that um, there was a project called GALAX. It was uh, uh, an orbital ultraviolet telescope. It's you know sort of outside the atmosphere so that all the, the nice ozone layers that prevent ultraviolet from burning us too badly, it also blocks our view of it outside of the Earth. And so put a telescope in space and you can map out the galaxy in the ultraviolet. Well, what's cool about missions that have a goal to basically go and map as much of the sky as you can is that it opens you up for serendipity and discovery. The uh, the researchers, when they were going through the images that they came in, every now and then you'd see something like really weird and unexpected, like, what the hell is that? And uh, I think one of the coolest things I remember, because we were always uh, supporting their press activities, you know, way back when the uh, it was a functioning mission 16 years ago, uh, one day the, the researchers came in with this picture and like, okay, well, we don't know what this is, but it's really cool. And maybe we should put an image out for it. We dubbed it the Blue Ring Nebula because it was this weirdly elliptical nebula that only showed up in the far ultraviolet channel. It was completely absent in the near ultraviolet channel. And in fact, if you inspected optical maps of the region, there just it just wasn't a hint of this anywhere else in any image that had been taken.
like it. The blue ring nebula is the one that that you see depictions of that it looks like an eye. Yeah, yeah, it looks like an eye, right. So what was so cool about it was like, we literally haven't seen another thing like this in the whole survey, (laughs) right? There's just this one spot and there's this weird round eye-shaped nebula and literally have no explanation what it is and and in fact i remember like when this first came up we kept thinking well maybe we should just put it out as a mystery nebula and a challenge for other people to solve and we we actually the researchers kept thinking like yeah but let's go take some more data let's see if we can figure it out well over the years they went and they hammered like with telescopes in space and on the ground and looked at in all sorts of ways and found interesting things like the central there's a central star at the the core of this nebula had an excess of infrared light suggesting there was some like dust disk somewhere down there around the star when they searched in optical light, they actually found that there are these two rings of what we call H-alpha emission. It's basically uh, hydrogen gas excited and, uh, to, to light up at a particular uh, uh, wavelength of light. They kind of weirdly outlined the edges of the nebula. Eventually, it was a researcher at Caltech who kind of put all the pieces together and they figured out that what this seems to be is the aftermath of a merger between two stars. One star about the size of our sun that was nearing the end of its life and swelling and becoming large, orbited by a small star that's only like maybe 100 times the mass of Jupiter that was actually getting dragged into the big star as it was starting to interact with the outer envelope. And as it did, it actually got ripped apart and it formed this weird disk of material around it that then constrained the material expanding out from that merger into two cones that were sort of aligned almost on our line of sight. And so what they basically came up with was this model, like you have these two cones, almost but not quite aligned with us, and where those cones overlapped, there was enough light from the ultraviolet to add up to become that nebula that we saw. While we suspect this kind of merger happens relatively frequently uh, in the galaxy with as many stars that are out there and how common that um, binary stars are, this is the only example we found of something in such a near term after that merger that has still left this sort of echo of light from that actual event. So, and it's pointed at us in just the right way so that we get that odd image that, saw, that, people, that caught people's eye. It is. So in fact, if, if we were to rotate it on the horizontal plane, you know, 90 degrees, it would look like two cones coming together. Exactly. And in fact, that was that was what I got to contribute to this result because, you know, I, I've been with that team ever since day one when they first brought that in going, oh, we got to put this out once we figured out. I actually was able to do a 3D visualization because I wanted to help them sort of figure out what, what geometry of material could reproduce that cone. And, and while they had the, the general model, they didn't have a, a like a full-on volumetric model. So if you go to the news release at JPL or at NASA, there's a little movie that starts with the image and then it fades off into like solid cones to help orient you and then goes from there into sort of this glowy volumetric sort of recreation of one viable model of what would produce that that elliptical cone. JPL Raw's uh, YouTube channel? Uh, it should be on the JPL YouTube channel, yeah. I can give you a link for the show notes. Please do, yeah. That, that's, that's a cool picture. And I think probably anybody who's a star buff has probably seen it at some point. But having a, a real explanation for why it looks the way it is is, is, is cool. And mystery solved, like you said. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those fun stories that someone sees something weird in a data set that wasn't part of a targeted observation, right? The, the idea of discovery. We have a lot of missions that are out there. Their goal is to survey the whole sky at a particular wave 
wavelength or in a particular way. And it's in part to directly address problems we know that will actually give us some kind of cool answers and cool data. But what's always wonderful about a survey is this chance serendipity of seeing something that no one expected. No one would ever have pointed a telescope in that direction to study that particular star and discovering after you know 16 years of trying to solve this mystery and pulling in data from so many different telescopes on the ground and in space to actually finally have all the pieces you need to go, ah, I see how this connects with this other research someone did on what happens when two stars merge. Well, Dr. Hurt, thank you so very much for stopping by this episode and providing us with a unique look into some different perspectives while looking up into the universe. Now, let's look on screen for the next episode of Star Trek Discovery, Unification Part 3. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 7, Unification Part 3. On screen. Scene. Interior. Writer's room. A select group of three Star Trek executive producers listen to a pitch for a season three episode of Discovery. Hi, everyone. I was asked to move the burn plot forward because we're halfway through the season. So I thought we could check in on the Vulcans after a thousand years. And I thought with Burnham being Spock's sister, we could call back to the unification episodes because that was his life's work and ultimately caused his death in the prime universe. I love it. We can bring back a clip from Next Generation with Leonard Nimoy. Do we want to go there? I mean, we did put Canon in a blender to avoid all this uh, historical baggage. No, 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 wait, 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 I like it. We can also bring in the Romulan stuff from Picard in here, too. Well, sure, we can refer to it, but I really want to show how much things have changed on Vulcan, and Michael would know this and really feel it. Like, the crew needs this science data about the burn, and the old Vulcans would have shared it, but these new Vulcans are like Vulcans in Enterprise, secretive and distrusting. Like, without the Federation, they regressed. Yeah, well, that's because the Romulans have moved in. Their planet was destroyed, so they have to live on Vulcan now. Sure, and, and, and we can have the, the warrior nuns be a big part of this. Like they were in the Picard show. Hey, 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 yeah. Should we get one of those actresses who was in the Picard show and age her like 500 years to provide more of that cross-series synergy? You know, like, like the MCU. I mean, we could, but bringing in the Romulans takes away from Michael being an authority on how things used to be and would lessen her ability to anchor the story for the audience. Wait, I got it. We make Michael's mom the warrior nun. That way, we can still keep most of the canon in the blender, but stuff from last season of this show can still be relevant somehow. Oh, yeah. And we can do like three or four scenes of, of mother-daughter things and, and emotional touchstones and stuff. Oh, this is the way to go. I feel this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I need to spend less time on how Vulcan has changed and more time doing family drama, shoehorning the Romulans into the plot, shoehorning Michael's mom into the convent and also advance the burn plot like I was asked to do? Yes. And also make Tilly the number one. You want me to demote Burnham to Ensign and promote Tilly to Commander? I mean, sure, that's a surprise twist. Kind of jarring, though. Nah, just make her number one. Wait, wait, wait. Acting number one. So, you know, we can demote her again later without it being a big deal. Oh, uh, and uh, let's rebrand the Vulcans to something with an apostrophe or something. Uh, just so everyone knows that it's the future. Y you know, you know, this episode is really going to be the rug that ties the whole franchise together. Oh, 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 
Speaking of the blender, who's got the Gary 7 Cleveland Booker reveal? And scene. All right, Captains, before we jump into our reviews, let's talk about some of the statistics. This episode was written by Kirsten Baer, directed by John Dudkowski, and it originally premiered in the United States on November 26th, 2020. All right, Captains, joining us and sticking around for this segment is our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, who you hear each and every week on After Hours, an extra podcast exclusive to our patrons. All right, so we've got some time. Let's talk. Let's kind of narrow down what's raw, what we thought about the show. And that was Freudian. That was Freudian. That was Freudian. <laughs> Leading question nice. there. I save. I save. And yeah, let's dive in. You know what? I, I, I want to go first. And because I honestly don't have much good to say about this episode. And I'm not going to yield to the, if you don't have anything nice, don't say anything at all. Because I think that does no one yeah. any justice. We know when to ignore maxims and proverbs like, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right, Let's right. ignore proverbs like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Let's ignore all the proverbs. All of them. Ignore them all. In a nutshell, I think the best way I can describe this episode for myself was that it really felt like I was watching a Maury Povich daytime talk show show. There is so much that is not logical about anything that we were presented from Burnham's mother joining the Quatmalot to having them do this odd presentation in front of a room that ended up just being a daytime talk show conversation between mom and, and daughter. Yeah, I, I didn't get any of it. And that was a, the main plot, right? That was plot A. Plot B was Tilly's story and what's going on behind the scenes with the, with the crew. I think I was on the... Star Trek Facebook page or something and somebody had made the, the joke, the snarky comment that, yeah, I really love the story except Burnham keeps getting in the way. <laughs> you know, I really want to learn about the crew, but Burnham keeps getting in the way. And this episode just did not do it for me. I don't see how this progressed the story forward. I've watched the episode twice, and I don't understand what cathartic evolution Burnham went through with her mom. What was that about? Did we watch a, a mommy-daughter reconciliation disguised as a Vulcan ritual? I don't understand. With respect to canon in a blender not once did they mention the romulan supernova they never mentioned it at all they kind of don't need to and yet we see a holographic version of the late leonard nimoy and we see references to unifications part one and two you know they talk about his work and in, in unifying the romulans and then they the president i think it was the president towards the end of the episode says yeah and then spock suddenly abandoned us no no she said spock abandoned the federation yes okay it was the federation because he did. Was about, okay remember okay, he, yes, did. Yes, he, yes, he did he did the federation to go to romulus yes. to work on unification but in his defense he saved well not you know and he didn't abandon romulus at, nor did he abandon vulcan right no, she was specifically saying, why did he... She was pointing out that Spock abandoned the Federation. Okay. Yeah, Spock left you guys. Why should we Why should we come back? He's a, he was a first mover. He was an early adopter. In terms of presentation, I did not understand anything of what was going on. Not because I couldn't comprehend it, but mostly because why did we need this daytime talk show event for her to have some cathartic moment? Tony. You're looking at me for answers here? I no, got no, nothing. no. I'm looking for you to give your to chime in oh, with your. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's a real conundrum they have, wanting to go a thousand years into the future to not worry about canon so much. And then it's like the it's like cheat day on a diet. Like they just they just well, let's just have a little. Let's have a little canon. 
We'll just try a little bit. And but let's be selective about it. like, for example, referencing unification, but skipping over the whole Romulus blew up part. Strictly speaking, they didn't need it. They just, you know, the Romulans are here now, and that's just what we're gonna deal with that. They don't really need to go into the whole supernova thing. It's not required. I can understand why they might have left it on the cutting room floor. A better choice might have been to address it head on, but they didn't need it. But that's the sort of thing that if you're a Star Trek fan who's enjoying the callbacks, it's jarring to miss that, right? So it's this is the you know, try, you know, there is no try, do or do not, bar Star Wars. Leave the canon behind or treat it like a resource and go all in on it. Is it jarring because of what they're choosing? Like, for instance, they failed to mention the supernova, and yet we got a whole bunch of exposition about the Quat Milat from a, a series that aired months ago. Well, and again, that's the, that's the other part of it that's jarring is that they're choosing to not put in the blender stuff that is currently in production. You know, the, the, like that stuff is cool. Like we can like go all in on that. But the stuff that from back then we're going to pick and choose from. And I told Robert I was going to save my two compliments for the end to end on a high note. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and like pop one out here now. If they were going to pick something from canon, this is great. This was a good idea. This is a thing that is very dare I say, logical to pull out from the canon <laughs> and say, what has happened to these guys? And they, they were a founding member of the Federation and instrumental in humanity's launch into space and going out of poverty and war and stuff like that. What's up with those guys? That's that's a really good idea. And I'm even going to like go, all right, fine. Yeah, we need Burnham to do this because she grew up on Vulcan. Okay. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm fine. I'll roll my eyes at it. But you know what? That actually does make sense too. And then the wheels fell off. That was This was a solid base. This was the this was a very solid base. Star Trek Online handled unification and, and the Romulus supernova destruction, I think, better than, than what we saw in this episode. Yeah, but again, they don't they don't need that. They didn't need it for the They wanted to show a bit of Leonard Nimoy to Spock. They wanted to connect Burnham and Spock. They wanted to connect Burnham to Vulcan. They didn't necessarily need it. Yeah, I mean, I love unification. I love the story. I love Spock, but so much Burnham. I agree that it's... I want to see more of... T- I want to see more of the other crew. I want the episodes... To, like, we're never going to get a Data's Day episode with Detmer or, you know, Reese or anybody because it's always Burnham. Not that she's... I mean, I like her, but... My, my son called my, my son called the show Leave It to Burnham. I mean, that was... I mean, that's... <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I... I I commented like on yeah, this we've last talked week on about After this. Hours that this is the premise. You know, like it or not, that's what the show was designed to be. This is a show that is about a particular character with a supporting cast around her, and it's going to be that next week, and it will be that the week after. And it's and you're going to complain about it every time, but the yes. point is that's what this show is. So I'm just saying, deal Suck with that <laughs> and try to see if you en- can enjoy. Given the premise, she no, is the I mean, of I, this show. I get in it. In fact, if you think about it, right, she is the Kirk of this show. Because Kirk, basically, everything was about Kirk in the original series. Every story, he was the linchpin. Uh, with rare exception, there was the Galileo 7, where it got spot. But, you know, again, that's out of 70, how many? 76 episodes, 78 episodes there were probably two or three that did not center on Kirk. And also by comparison, you think you look at other secondary officers. You look at uh, Riker, you look at... Sp- the only time that a, that a secondary officer has really gone off the rails was Spock for the Star Trek within a Star Trek episode. Um, the Menagerie. The Menagerie. Menagerie, yeah. So that's and he was really doing the- that for Pike. Right. So it wasn't for him. Not- it wasn't his burning need to know something. It was because Pike needed him to do it. It's She, she does it because she feels the need. She has to. I had her explanation to Tilly this episode was I had to do it. So I get it. You know, this is the Burnham show. I that's that I get it. Okay, let's 
I'm going to keep watching and going on for this ride to see what happens. doesn't mean I have to like it, but I and I'm going to try to find things that I like, and I'm going to try to find things that I enjoy from the episodes, like stellar acting, stellar moments of the, of the episode that, that really, like, you know, I think back two or three episodes ago with uh, Giorgio and... Um, the interrogation. With, uh, yeah, the David interrogation Cronenberg. with David Cronenberg and Michelle Yeoh. Wonderful episodes, wonderful cinematic drive. We cannot be forgiving of Star Trek. We cannot. It, we can love it, and we can con- and I will continue to watch it, and I will continue to love it. And I will continue to show up at conventions and you know buy Starfleet paraphernalia and Star Trek goodies. This isn't good radio, but I'm showing everybody my lower decks T-shirt. In an age where television is king right now, and you've got to show another science fiction show on another channel, on another paid-for channel that is doing remarkably better, and manages to tell Mandalorian, you have to have better standards of writing, you have to have better standards of, of crafting a journey. This season started off strong, and then these last two episodes have been weak, in my opinion. So when do I get to interject a counterpoint? <laughs> I would love to hear the counterpoint. So I'm going to come in and basically say I am watching a completely different show than all of you because I think this season has been getting stronger every episode. This episode really resonated with me emotionally. I was surprised how much I really, really enjoyed this journey. Uh, Starting from, like you say, Tony, there were some really good strategic choices on how they could connect things from canon and how it it actually made sense that Burnham was in a, a fulcrum point because not just being raised on Vulcan, but being Spock's sister, you know, that puts her in a surprisingly unique position with Vulcan culture, given that Spock was the central point, right? That, and watching Burnham get a chance to look back and see who her brother became, I thought was beautifully handled. Oh, I did like that. But the the thing that actually I really liked about this episode was that this is the, for me, this is the thing that Star Trek does really well. It's just put people in a room and let them talk and explore what's going on. I loved that this was a very conversational and not a every it's blowing up every 30 minutes like or every on the ship uh, which has been driving me batty about this season it's just the incessant action that serves no actual purpose for ideas or, or the story i thought that bringing in this idea of how science isn't just the logic of the discovery that it has an impact on the culture it might not have been an perfectly written out concept the way it was executed but the idea that you couldn't separate the science of that experiment from the cultural impact on the Romulans, I thought was fascinating and is, is strikes the heart of what Star Trek does best, which is to create these metaphors in science fiction that reflect the world around us, where there are so many issues where technology and culture are coming into conflict and there are no neat, clean resolutions to this. I agree with and you 100%, and I wish I had watched that episode. I would much <laughs> rather have them spent 20 minutes explaining what exactly was wrong with the science that made the Romulans go, why is everyone blaming us? Let's let's figure out a way that people don't blame us anymore. And the Vulcans were like, no, we're cool that everybody's blaming us. I would much rather have had 20 minutes about that than four sit-downs between mothers and daughters talking about how you found your home. But I think it was there because the, they were, the, the focal it. point was the, the Vulcans felt they had been pressured by the Federation to do something that they didn't want to do 
and that a thing has occurred that they feel that they were taking on, on, on their fault. Now, we don't know, there wasn't enough, we don't know enough about what was in that research data to understand what the answer ultimately is. And it is, are they actually hiding something that they know to be different or is there an ambiguity they haven't been able to resolve and they, they just glommed on the worst case that we literally don't know enough to know how that And because this out. is the Burnham show, we're gonna have to find out about that through Burnham and not from the Vulcans and Romulans. I, it's true. I wanna it ask this question. So, so first, Robert, you said something that kind of made me aware of something is that you are watching these shows from a much different lens. You work in the field of science, right? And I can only imagine how many times you've had to try to explain to a person who's not in the field of science, A, what it is you do, and B, why it's so freaking important, right? So- Well, I'll give you a real world example right now, a, a battle that's actually going on in uh, in the culture over science in Hawaii over the uh, the 30 meter telescope, where it turns out that- Jason Momoa is involved in this. Yeah, he, he absolutely is. And it is, uh, you know, on the science side, there is literally no other place in the Northern hemisphere that has the conditions that allow for the fidelity of astronomical observation as you can find on the top of Mount Akea. There's a ton of reasons I won't go into them. It's fascinating. But it is now in conflict with a an indigenous people who have felt abandoned by the government for years and years and years. And this piece of science and technology has become a way to elevate their voice and be seen by trying to put their foot down and say, no, we don't want this to happen because of the religious significance to us. And there is literally no resolution to this. It is a very tedious, complex process. I've been involved in it. I was on the top of the mountain when we were trying to do the groundbreaking ceremony, doing the live stream when protesters stormed the ceremony and, and shut us down. It's like on the science side, there's such an obvious answer like it's just it's just so clean and it's powerful and and the things we can learn on the other side it's like all of that's irrelevant to how this impacts our culture and trying to find a way to establish that dialogue between them i must say i watched this episode of discovery and i actually felt like this was could be a direct analogy i'd, I'd like i'd love all the astronomers and all the protesters to all sit down in the same room and watch this episode give of me an hour of that <laughs> yes robert yeah, give I wanted me to an watch hour that of that i want that episode that's the episode i want But instead, we have the Romulan warrior nun who happens to be Michael's mom. But the point is, I there was a really interesting, I thought this was a very effective plot line of trying to tease out Burnham's truth of trying to decide, is the Federation acting in everyone's best interest? And is she is acting in the Federation's interest? This is all part of this whole building storyline of her, the nature of where she belongs or doesn't belong. And again, it is not cleanly explained and finished and made nice right, and Right, I was about to say, I agree they tried to do that. I, I mean, yes, I love things all nice and neat. And I, uh, you know, writing used to be, let's tie it all up with a bow. There are so few shows that do that anymore. I think there is a kind of ambiguity that is just the way a lot of drama is done today. And uh, and frankly, there's a lot of Mandalorian that's not tied up with a bow and nice and neat. And it's just like, ah, two. It has, it's also very small stories compared mm-hmm. to what they're doing. And mm-hmm. there's very little world building. Mm-hmm. It's a very narrow little slice. And it's almost, that's kind of an apples and oranges. Uh, if you want uh, like a, like a, a fairer comparison, comparison like The Expanse to Discovery, where you're really trying to world build a whole set of cultures and conflicts and I don't know things like that. I, I, it, of that I take some uh, objection to because I, I would argue Star Trek or rather the Expanse 
were, are trying to be each other, maybe, a little bit. But when you have a franchise that is as old as Star Trek, as you did with Star, as you have with Star Wars, I would argue that the, that the writers on Mandalorian, or rather any Star Wars for that matter, aren't worried about having to re-explain things for a new generation of watchers. For instance, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go off on this tangent because I think it's important that we compare, right? One of the things about criticism and, and critiquing is that you also look at your contemporaries. And this last episode of The Mandalorian where Rosario Dawson plays this Jedi, I never watched the Clone Wars cartoons. Neither. I never got into them, but I, I know enough of from seeing headlines and you know because i follow you know these nerd websites and you know what's going on and i understood the excitement but not having watched the clone wars animated series did not detract from this episode on the contrary i was like wow this this is really cool i bet i bet there are star wars fans freaking out right now how ex how exciting is this for them right oh i was totally freaking out because ahsoka tano has been my favorite jedi for for many years now so this Love was her. that was a glorious moment but i will point out that they're not carrying a heavy continuity load by introducing her because her role in The Mandalorian was very narrow, very specific, very tight on a few characters in terms of what she was really bringing to it. And so it, it, they weren't actually trying to do this huge world building exercise by bringing her in. So yes, it, she has a connection to, to the Mandalorians. She is, and, but it was, it was an easier job than what you're trying to do in Star Trek where you are trying to world build vast culture. May I, may I, I, I want to take what you're saying, but I think that's Elio's point is that by having Ahsoka Tano have a, a thing, a job to do, and she does it within the space of an episode, you can, the audience now knows ah, this is her story, how she fits into this place. It's got a beginning, a middle, and end. And now we move on with the overall story. If they had done that with this, here's why the Vulcans are hiding the burn data. Here's why the Romulans care about it. Here's why the science and the religion and culture clash. Let's figure out why that is. And then we get the data or we don't, and we move on to the next thing. You know what would have made Unification Part 3? I think I would have been more forgiving of this episode is if at the end, instead of her just showing the disc, it would have been nice if they had ended the episode with some sort of resolution as to what was on that day. They didn't have to tell us everything. I didn't need the full-on explanation of what's on that disc. But perhaps the final scene would be her and Tilly working together and, oh my god, look, we just discovered no. <gasps> blackout. You know, something like that. It would have been the four Vulcans on the ship going, what have you done? It would have been those three people going up to the present lady going, what have you done? Or that, and or that. That would have yeah, been much something... better. Because again, we need to hear from the people who care about this. We need right. Jason Momoa and Dr. Hurt to sit down at a table with some mediator person. <laughs> And when the, the, this is a clear solution, says Dr. Hurt. And Jason Moe says, but no, the clear solution is this. And somebody else going, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hand yeah, the data like off to Dr. Lower decks. Berman. Lower decks. She's like, what's your problem? What's your problem? Okay. And it turns Check out one guy out. wants a vacation home or something like that. <laughs> Lower decks. Lower decks, baby. To go on to Hawaii. <laughs> All right, Admirals, I think. Well, actually, uh, but Kat, I, I, I was going to ask, I don't think we've actually gotten your your kind of gut reaction to this one other than a, a few anecdotal bits here and there uh i'm kind of siding with tony and i just so much i mean how is her mom where has she been and she hasn't mentioned her in all her recaps of her you know first officer's log so like she never talks her mom never shows up i don't know if that was on purpose and then all this i mean i get that she thought she would find her on terralysium but there was no indication whatsoever that her mom could have been on Nuvul, whatever it's that called. I forgot. The whole mom thing. 
Pouat Miller. Yeah, and I mean, it was emotional, and it was nice to see Burnham with her mom. Don't get me wrong. I thought that was, I mean, but the whole episode. So <laughs> mean. Uh, yeah, it, it, the, just, the mom, the mom storyline actually worked surprisingly well for me because, of course, it was an utter surprise. I mean, for what the reveal they were was, trying I did to not do. see it coming. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, her mom's beaming in right now. <laughs> and that was and that was my second thing. Nice, I was going to say, uh, uh, Robert. I did not see Burnham staying in uniform. I didn't see that. Kind oh of yeah, I mean, I do like her yeah, in I, book too. I mean, I love it? that. I like her journey that she's trying to discover herself. If she's in the future, what are you going to do? She's been there a year. I mean, you find this hot guy. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but no more insubordination, uh, Officer Burnham. No more. What, no, a, any more, and you are out. We are going to bounce you out. All right, no captains. More. That wraps it up for this episode of Priority One and on screen for Star Trek Discovery Season 3's episode, Unification Part 3. We're going to dive deeper, I'm sure, in After Hours. Oh, so, if you are we interested... We didn't even talk about Tilly. Yeah, We no. didn't talk about Tilly. We, we just, a lot of things... You see, Robert, this is why we can't do have these massive conversations that other podcasts can do. So, don't forget, check out After Hours over on our Patreon channel exclusive to our patrons. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are open, but we took a week off, so no replies to our community questions. As a result, that wraps up episode 488 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, and Joshua Selig. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday night's the Armada broadcast live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. So follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Priority One Podcast is a community endeavor put together by a group of volunteers who donate their time and talents to produce the quality show you've come to expect from week to week. And just like community theater relies on its community, we rely on you to support us and make sure we keep the lights on and continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect. So please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. There you'll find some awesome incentives for why you should consider a monthly contribution. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray. Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, Skiffy. A very special thanks to our live stream technician, Brandon Parker. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. 
Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watt. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Sometimes I'd make space debris out of, dang it, I can't say debris. Well, that wraps up all the news we have to cover in the general Star Trek news. And if Klingon warriors understand anything, it's getting physical. No, not like, well, okay, actually, yes, like. Let's get physical, physical. (laughs) Actually, I'd probably be like, let's get physical, (laughs) physical. We want to get physical. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, mine. Arnold Schwarzenegger cleanse. playing a Klingon was a missed opportunity. They really should have gone for that. <gasps> oh my god, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Give me the butt lift. <laughs> get down, Melina. <laughs> get in the bird of prey. Get in now. <laughs> now, come with me if today is a good day to die. <laughs> Tony, that, so- that sounded a little more like Stimpy. I yeah. mean, Ren. Ren <laughs> Stimpy, Ren Stimpy, come with me. Today's a good day to die. Ah, <laughs> uh, sh- All right, where are we? Uh, All right. where we are. Thanks to our live scream. Live scream? Live scream technician. <laughs> hey, you have a promotion. <laughs> that, you know what? That completely, that completely slipped. <laughs> that was Freudian. Get in the bird of prey now. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.